Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. What a lovely day it's been. It's been alright. Love is in the air. I suppose. The cold, frigid winds of February are blowing. Actually, they've finally gone away a bit. And that can only mean it is Valencrimes. Yes, happy belated Valencrimes to all of you. This is my favorite time of year. Yeah. The time where we mix love and usually murder. <laughs> so, but those you kind of go together anyways the rest of the year, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What harrowing tale of criminal activity ha- have you brought to us this year, Derek? Uh, well, you know, it wouldn't be a Valencrimes without talking about a, a serial killer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of murder. Okay. Definitely a lot of, like... Bribery? Ooh, that's usually illegal. Poison? Oh. All the good stuff, you know. (laughs) The only thing this is really missing, this tale is missing, life insurance fraud. Oh, okay. (laughs) There's really none of that, and I feel like there was a missed opportunity here (laughs) for, you you really could have, like, done more with that. (laughs) I guess you can't, like, check every box. Poisoning victims can't be choosers, as they always say. Yeah. Yeah. So today we are talking about Thomas Nell Cream. Uh, I use Thomas Nell Cream uh, on on my elbows. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get nice and smooth and supple. Oh, okay. Um, so he he was a doctor, and as you're gonna find out, a serial killer. <laughs> uh, I'm actually really shocked that we've never talked about him. Mm-hmm. I've kind of been questioning, like, have we? actually not ever talked about we him? have not talked about are we him. sure i'm are we sure positive i will stake my reputation <laughs> on it this is the first time hearing about thomas nell cream and his many cream-based crimes yeah um thomas nell crime more like it yeah so he like crosses paths with like other things and areas we've talked about mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's so, like many uh, tales of uh, serial killers that we cover, mm-hmm. this takes us back to the 1800s. Uh, before there were crimes. They hadn't figured out what law was yet. No, it's just you could get away with it a lot better <laughs> normally. Before, like, the 1890s, I, I, I imagine all law was you offended a, a feudal lord upon his lands. <laughs> and whether you were in trouble or not depended on if wh- whether you had favor with the sheriff. You think you were watching too much Westworld right now? Perhaps, perhaps. I'm thinking like Sheriff of Nottingham Sheriff. Oh, okay. I'm thinking like Wild West Sheriff. (laughs) Um, So uh, Cream was born in Glasgow uh, in 1850, and he moved to Quebec City in Canada with his family when he was four. I hope he was with his family. Otherwise, maybe that's a really enterprising toddler. (laughs) Just hopped on a boat by himself and was like, see ya. Take me to the new world. (laughs) I seek my fortune. Uh, So he eventually attended uh, McGill University in Montreal. And he studied medicine and graduated in 1876. With his thesis being on chloroform. (laughs) (laughs) That's a red flag if I ever saw one. (laughs) Right? Like, when, when I read that, I was like, oh... Okay. But imagine also being a doctor today and like, oh, yeah, my thesis is on saline solution. I'm not sure we really figured it out yet. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, chloroform was pretty new back then (laughs) in 1876. It only, like, been used in medicine for a couple decades. 
his choice was between chloroform and scalpels. They were that <laughs> new at, at doctor theses. Washing hands. <laughs> we weren't quite there yet. So while there, it's also set, uh, claimed that he set fire to his lodgings to get insurance money. Ah, there we go. This, this That's not life insurance, though. That's true. That's like property insurance. It's still insurance fraud. I think it counts. This is like the only aspect of like insurance fraud that's in this entire tale. What are you doing in the 1800s? You're you're you don't belong in this decade. <laughs> so, he went on to do his postgraduate work at uh St. Thomas Hospital Medical School, uh and then did some additional training in Edinburgh uh to become a surgeon. And then he returned to Canada and started a practice in London, Ontario, um which is in the southern part of Ontario. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I've been there. Yeah, I've been to London, too. You have? London, uh, Ontario is home to a, a Shakespeare festival. Or That's on the, Stratford. It's on the way. It, it's like, <laughs> I visited London, Ontario on the way to yes, the Stratford it, it, uh, uh, festival. Yes, it's a bigger... T- I actually went to see a production of Rent in London. Specifically in London. Specifically in London. Okay. Like, the tour uh, was not coming to Detroit... The Broadway tour was not coming to Detroit, but it was going to London. So we drove to London. It was also like adjacent because I was looking up on a map. Mm -hmm. um, And I realized that the Scout Jamboree I went to was in the town adjacent to London, which I actually did not know. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. fun, fun fact of, uh, I guess probably a lot of people don't think it's fun. I think it's fun. Uh, (laughs) London is actually the uh, site of the Victoria Day disaster. Ooh. Which was one of the worst maritime disasters in Canadian history up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is where a uh, stern wheel uh, boat capsized on the river there and about 200 people died in 1881. So just wait for our, our New Year's episode coming in 2082, when that, <laughs> that will be one of our half episode topics. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Who knows, I could do a whole episode on, like, Canadian maritime disasters. Yeah, you'll spend the whole time researching, asking me, have I done this one yet? (laughs) Have I done this one yet? Yeah, we've been doing this a while. (laughs) Okay, sometimes it kind of blurs together. I I did request, like, a spreadsheet. So I can be like, oh yeah, I did that. And it exists. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yes! There there is a list. I forgot. (laughs) Uh, so anyways, uh, in 1876, uh, Cream uh, was engaged to Flora Brooks. It's, it's said that they became engaged, and uh, a few months later, she became ill. And her father had her go see a doctor, not Cream, mm-hmm. but a different doctor, and was like, you know, check her over. What's going on? <laughs> she's, she's broke. Fix it. And uh, it was found that she had uh, recently undergone an abortion. Mm-hmm. Once that was known, her father took a gun to Cream's head and was like, you're marrying my daughter. Uh-huh. Like, you are marrying her right now. Because obviously it was you. So she became Flora Cream, which does... I don't like the sound <laughs> no. of that. Uh, so they did get married. And then the father... Only three treatments of Flora Cream. That rash will clear right up. So the following year, uh, she got bronchitis, then soon after died of consumption, which is TB, Mm -hmm. for those who don't remember. Uh, But apparently Cream had prescribed her some medicine before he went out of town for work and insisted that, like, you only take this, you'll be better. 
it's speculated now, knowing what we know about Cream, Mm -hmm. that, you know, he probably poisoned her. Ah. That probably... ah. There's no evidence. (laughs) There's no evidence except a dead person in the life of a known serial killer. Yes. Okay. So, you know, we're going to assume that... That's enough to get people talking, at least. They were wrong about what she died of. (laughs) In August of 1879... Kate Gardner was found dead in an alleyway close to Cream's office. Uh, She was pregnant and she was poisoned by chloroform. Now, her roommate, Sarah Long, testified that Kate had been pregnant and went to Cream for help. Mm -hmm. Cream claimed that he did see her, Mm -hmm. but it was... She was was not invisible. (laughs) But it was not to, like, do anything about her pregnancy. Mm and that her death must have been like a suicide or something because, you know, she was a ruined woman now. But other doctors were like, okay, a person cannot, like, commit suicide by chloroforming themselves. It is, like, physically impossible for them to hold, like, a chloroform-soaked something to their face and actually, like, die because it's going to, like, fall off or, like, they'll lose you'll, consciousness you'll, and everything yeah. before... It'll pass out and it'll fall away before it kills you. But what if... You just strap it on there real tight. Well, you know, she wasn't found with it strapped on very tight. (laughs) So just going to say. Also, which doctor here wrote a thesis on chloroform? (laughs) I say we listen to the experts. Yeah. That's what I learned in 2020. Uh, Now, there was like no other evidence other than uh, Long accusing him Mm -hmm. uh, that connected him to this. Until he like suggested to her that. She could make money by, like, accusing a wealthy businessman of being the father. Ooh. Like, ooh, a little blackmail in here. That didn't go over well. And she, you know, she said this, but she's also, like, a lowly woman. So, like, no one's really listening to her over Mm -hmm. a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, And the coroner did rule that it was murder, but by an unknown person. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Cream, like, hightailed it out of there to the United States. <laughs> felt, I think he thought the, like, pressure was on. Right, like, Oh, no. Right. Gotta uh, skip the border down south. Uh, so he came to Chicago. Ah. Uh, City and- of big shoulders and bigger murder castles. Yes. Uh, and so he established a medical practice not far uh, from one of the red light districts here in the city um, on the west side near, like, Madison and Throop. Oh, okay. So, so like, just west of Greektown. Yep. Very west loop. Not even as far west as Union Park. So very near, oh, near yeah. the west side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Madison used to be, like, a huge red light district. Mm-hmm. It's one that doesn't get talked about as much because there's not as many, like, maps. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of maps of, like, the red light district that was by uh, Dearborn Station, Levy down uh, by 18th Street. Like, those all have, like, really cool maps. Mm-hmm, but I feel mm-hmm. like Madison Street just was never mapped out. So, like, no one remembers <laughs> it. They knew how to keep their mouth shut. I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he was there. Um, and he was known for offering abortions uh, to the various working women of the area. So he's a hero. If he didn't, like, go around and kill everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But no, you like it was his way of like, well, no one cares about these people, so I can kill people. It's fine. So in August of 1880, uh, he was arrested in connection to the death of Mary Faulkner, or Falker, who died from an abortion. You're calling him a murderer, but isn't there a chance he was just really bad at his job? 
okay. Like, <laughs> in some cases, maybe, but at the same time, there's going to be a trend we're seeing in a while that's okay. not just like, okay, died from this abortion, but died from like, we thought it was natural causes or an abortion, but really, then we found out that there was poison. We're going to get there. Okay. 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 Hattie Mack uh, was a midwife in the area who was first arrested in connection to this death. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she quickly accused Cream. Uh, And she, like, you know, confirmed, like, hey, he does a lot of illegal abortions. The only kind at the time in Illinois. Well, yes, yes. She claimed that he forced her to take in Mary while she was recovering. And, like, he he brought mm -hmm. her to her. It didn't really go very far, this case, because, you know, Cream was a white dude. And Hattie Mack was a black woman, so, like, no one's going to pay attention to her. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, her. Her testimony was not deemed sufficient evidence on its own. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, maybe people should have listened to her, because mm-hmm. we got a lot to go here. Uh, so, in December, another lady uh, named Mary Stack died uh, after receiving treatment from him. Uh, and this is when uh, Cream started to kind of bring back more of that blackmail. Sure, sure. Uh, so he tried to blackmail the pharmacist who had filled one <laughs> of the prescriptions. Didn't really go anywhere. But then in July, another person died. This time it was a dude. That's rare for him. Uh, his name was Daniel Stott. He died of strychnine poisoning at his home in Boone County, Illinois. Now, Cream had supplied his wife, with medicine that was supposed to help remedy his epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Now, the coroner said he died of natural causes. But Cream was like, hey, no, 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 he did not die of natural causes. <laughs> I made sure of it. I mean, uh, this pharmacist. So he wrote to the coroner and blamed the pharmacist for the death, which, you know, isn't, like, weird or anything <laughs> at all. <laughs> He was arrested uh, along with Daniel Stott's wife, Julia. Julia had apparently become Cream's mistress. That's a mistake. And uh, got the drugs from Cream, which turned out to be poison with the intent to, you know, kill him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was later found out that his stomach was filled with enough of it that he could have died like three times over. You only need the one. Yeah. That's enough. Julia turned state's evidence to avoid jail time uh, and straight up was like, it was cream. This is what (laughs) happened. Uh, And he was charged with murder and sentenced to life in Joliet prison, which Mm -hmm, we've mm -hmm. talked about before. Uh, So during his trial, Mm -hmm. uh, a sheriff at the jail where he was being held commented to the papers that he believed Cream was connected to another murder. Mm. Uh, in April of 1881, Alice Montgomery died died of strychnine poisoning uh, following an abortion in a rooming house down the block from his office. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, she was fine during dinner, but then after was found screaming and convulsing and died shortly after. Uh, so another doctor told the police, yeah, she came to me looking for an abortion, but I refused because, like, that's not legal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which maybe if it was, she wouldn't have died because then he could have done it. And then, yeah, just going to say. But she did have medicine that he, she had gotten from 
a drugstore. Mm -hmm. And it was prescribed by a Dr. Frazier, who was like, I know nothing of this prescription. That is also (laughs) not my handwriting. Why are you getting prescriptions from a radio psychiatrist in Seattle? This makes no sense. (laughs) So the coroner concluded that poison had been added to the medication, like, after it was prescribed, but, like, not from this doctor. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we don't think it was you. We think someone, like, forged this. It was filled, but then someone added stuff to it. Kind of like the Tylenol murders. Gonna, you yeah. know, put a little stuff in there. Yeah. But even harder to, to solve because this is the era when uh, uh, your pharmacist isn't, you know, filling the drug sent by the drug company, but, like, compiling pills yeah, out of a recipe in their, their big book. Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing that... It ever worked correctly. <laughs> During the inquest, a letter written by Alice was produced, uh, and it said that she paid Dr. Fraser, Dr. Fraser, seventy-five dollars for an operation, and that she needed another twenty-five for like another operation, and then she would be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sent to the coroner anonymously uh, by someone who claimed to know her, but there was like no further info that came with it, other than this was. To clear up the troubles associated with a person that no one knew who they were. (laughs) Like, it was some random name, and, like, they're like, we literally have no idea who this person is. This doesn't clear up anything. Uh, So Frazier denied any connection, and both he and the, like, pharmacist who, you know, put together this concoction were both found, you know, not involved. Something Mm -hmm. else is going on here. Now, there is no record of Cream ever being accused of this by anyone other than that sheriff in that random newspaper article. (laughs) But looking back, maybe they should have looked at this dude who seemed to be poisoning people around the corner. (laughs) H.H. Holmes, who we know, is often called like Chicago's first serial killer. But as we found out in that episode, like, he didn't kill a lot of people as far as we actually have confirmation of. H.H. Holmes, actually a good guy. I would hang out alone with him any day. (laughs) Maybe Dr. Cream here is actually Chicago's first serial killer. Hmm. If we would have actually gotten it right during the time. This is roughly around the same time. Holmes, yeah. Holmes is after this, actually. Yeah, yeah. He he was later in the 1890s. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, It's a thought. So you would think this is kind of where the story would stop. Like, he's in jail. Yeah. Right? Like, he can't kill anyone else. Well, nope. So Cream was supposed to serve a life sentence. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was released from prison in July of 1891 after the governor commuted his sentence after his brother apparently pleaded for leniency or, you know, was probably bribed. Yeah. So, So the governor was open to bribery? It's, it seems that way. Would you say that cash ruled everything around him? I guess. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. You just really wanted to do that, <laughs> didn't you? Uh, so their father had died in 1887, and he and his siblings inherited quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that he was declared a fit and proper subject for executive clemency, and his sentence was reduced to 17 years, plus, you know, time for good behavior. It seems a little spi- suspicious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so... He got out, and apparently after he did, he did try to track down Julia Stout for a bit. I don't think for anything pleasant. Uh, uh, yeah, pro- probably just revenge. 
Even, uh, even if he just wanted to, to share some choice words, I don't think they'd be very nice ones. Yeah. He apparently hired a very bad detective agency because they didn't <laughs> find her. Uh, and after a while, he decided to go to London, England, mm, not Ontario. Maybe he got lost. <laughs> he brought the wrong ticket. He got really bad directions. Yeah. He's like, wow, this is taking a while. <laughs> this is not how we, I remember it. Are we going the long way around? Lake Huron is far larger than I recall. <laughs> he ended up settling down uh, in London on Lambeth Palace Road, which is an area that was filled with pro- poverty, crime, prostitution, all the things he seems to love. Yeah, like low rent. Who are we to judge? Yeah. Th- this is when he he started to uh, encounter a lot of young women <laughs> <laughs> who probably wishes... Wished they did not encounter him. Mm-hmm. So on October 13th, 1891, Ellen Nellie Donworth, who was 19, apparently accepted a drink from him. Uh, and then the next day she was ill. And then like by a couple days later, she was just straight up dead from poisoning. Now, during her inquest, uh, the coroner received a letter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, offering to name the murderer in exchange for 300,000 pounds. <laughs> now, the letter was also se- or a letter was also sent to WFD Smith, who was the owner of a series of book stalls, and it was blackmailing him claiming that he killed her and demanding money otherwise he would tell. Mhm. Later that month, mm-hmm. uh, he would meet uh, Matilda Clover who would become ill and die the next day. He has rotten luck, this guy. Uh, at first, the cause um, was deemed to be from a side effect of her alcoholism. Mm-hmm. But a note was received uh, by a prominent physician uh, accusing him of poisoning her, demanding money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give me some cash or everyone's going to know you murdered her. This is such a wild MO. <laughs> Kill people, accuse rich people of being the real murderer. Anonymously. Anonymously. <laughs> and hope that you somehow get the money. Let me tell you, it didn't really work ever. <laughs> it's a bad plan. There is like no record of him actually ever getting any money, but he kept doing it. Broadbent, this this doctor who got this letter, mm-hmm. uh, sent it to Scotland Yard because he's like, yeah, no. Apparently, somebody thinks that this lady was murdered. <laughs> Y'all want to might might want to look harder. Oh no, my plan is falling apart. Who could have expected this? Uh, so in April, two other women, Alice and Emma, uh, would become his victims. Uh, he talked his way into their flat, offered them some beers. They enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. He left. They both died. So he has good taste in beer. Hmm. I don't know. It was Guinness, apparently. (laughs) During all this, all these letters of blackmail or accusing others drew attention, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And uh, by this point, the papers were referring to this as the work of a serial killer who they called the Lambeth Poisoner. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, the police were especially interested in those letters that came from Matilda Clover, the one who, you know, was supposed to die from alcohol-related things, mm-hmm. and the, the letter was like, murder! And they're like, this seems just, like, really weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then our buddy here... Mr. Wa- Cream. Mr. Cream. Cream of the crop. Would uh, meet a policeman visiting from New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
being the good host that he is, he's like, hey, you've heard of the serial killer, right? I can offer you a tour of all the places that the victims lived. Well, he was from Chicago, so he saw all the ghost tours, the yeah. gangster tours. He's, He's like, I see a business opportunity yeah. here. So he took him around to all these spots and, and showed it off. And uh, this, you know, police officer was later chatting with local police and was like, yeah, I got like this great tour. Um, showed me all the spots like crazy. And they were like, he what? <laughs> It's a little suspicious that he knows the location of all these victims. Were, were their home addresses ever published in the newspapers? That's the question you have to ask. Like, probably. All but right, it's, okay. I don't know if all of them. Some of them were probably published before they had gotten to the point, like, these are all connected. Right, right. You know, so then he would have had to have, like, gone back and researched that. Oh, so he's a really good tour guide? Like, that's a crime? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they put cream under surveillance. And <laughs> it turned into butter. They uh, soon found out that he, you know, did like to hang out with a lot of prostitutes. And those women were the ones that were dying. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that was a little suspicious. They decided, hey, you know what? He he was he lived in America, right? Why don't we like contact people there and see if like anyone knows anything about him? And that's when they found out about his record and his conviction for murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on June 3rd, 1892, he was arrested for murder and firm- formally charged on the 13th for the murder of Clover, who had since like exhumed and found out that like she was full of poison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the other the other three that had died. Plus, charged with the attempted murder of someone else who was given pills by uh, him, but was suspicious and didn't take them. (laughs) Uh, And then also, you know, extortion. Yeah, yeah. Again, going back to the Tylenol murders, extortion is the most provable crime. (laughs) Don't try to do it. It never works out well. During all this, Cream tried to argue that he was only Dr. Thomas Nell and not Dr. Thomas Cream. So, like, obviously they had the wrong person. (laughs) What kind of a name is Cream, really? That's ridiculous. Oh, my brother, Mr. Cream, he's a great guy. <laughs> now, they also got a letter in July of 1892 that claimed that it was from Jack the Ripper. And Jack the Ripper was vouching for Dr. <laughs> Neil here and being like, hey, my boy didn't do it. What a character witness. <laughs> what, what a mensch, that Jack the Ripper. So Cream's trial took place uh, from October 17th to October 21st, 1892. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deliberation lasted all of 12 minutes. (laughs) And he was found guilty of everything and sentenced to death by hanging, which took place in November. I I imagine like the judge uh, uh, just like, okay, uh, it's time to deliberate. He, He just goes back, has a sandwich opens up his inbox, and there's a letter there accusing him of murder. Like, oh, come on. Come on. So uh, there, one person claims that upon uh, Cream being hanged, uh, he started to say, I am Jack the... But, like, you know, was cut off. Uh, he was trying to say, I am Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> Uh, and this this person held very tightly to the fact that, like, oh, my gosh, he has to be Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. I I just, like, was involved in, like, us hanging him. We caught him. We did it. This guy known for the least 
ripping in, in any sort of murder, just strychnine in everybody. A lot of people also ran with this idea. Mm-hmm. Though no one else heard him say this at all that was sure. present. Uh, what through, a surprise. Since then, many people have speculated and researched and tried to like put things together that like points him to being one of the contending people mm-hmm. as Jack the Ripper. If you look up like who was Jack the Ripper, his name's going to come up as one of the possible suspects. Uh, wasn't he in prison in Joliet during the Ripper murders from... Yes, yes, he was. He was in prison when Jack the Ripper was murdering people. That was, but, oh, here's the thing. That was 88 through 91, when he was in prison. <laughs> yeah, because he moved there. When when did I say? It was uh, he, July of ni- 1891 is when, his sen- when he was released from Joliet Prison. And the last of the Whitechapel murders was earlier in that year. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Jack the Ripper enthusiasts have not let this stop them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? Much like the anti-Stratfordians who think the deceased Christopher Marlowe wrote Shakespeare's plays. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in this case, to get around the whole jail thing, mm-hmm. uh, people are like, well, that was obviously a decoy that was in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the decoy? Who would agree to this? And then others are like, well, no, he just like bribed them so well that he was actually released from prison much earlier, but the records just have a later date. (laughs) (laughs) Though, authorities, people that knew him, like his lawyer... His family were all like, no, dude was in jail. The real Dr. Cream was executed (laughs) on a desert island. The Dr. Cream that moved to England was a uh, DNA-grown clone with an ankle bracelet. Oh, oh, and then there's also people who, like, try to, like, they looked at, like, the handwriting of, like, some of the Jack the Ripper letters, which many of which are known to be, like, fake like, they're, they're copycats. Yes. But, like, looking at, well, these are the ones that we think are actually real. Now I'm going to compare them with the extortion letters of Cream. It's definitely the same dude. You know who did the Whitechapel murders? Some guy. Probably a couple guys. And you know why it's unsolvable? Because cops are bad at solving crimes. They were even worse back then. The only reason this dude got caught is because of the extortion component. <laughs> He just couldn't stop being dumb. I'm pretty sure if he was Jack the Ripper, he wouldn't have gotten caught because he wouldn't have done the extortion part. So was he Jack the Ripper? No. No. Was he Chicago's first serial killer? Publicly known? Probably. The actual first? No, because let's be honest, people were killing people a lot all the time. (laughs) It was the 1800s. We are barbarians. Let's be honest. I do like the idea that he has a claim on Chicago's first known serial killer. Yes. Yes. Happy Valencrimes. Happy Valencrimes, everybody. Don't extort people. You will get caught. Mm-hmm. That is what I have learned. What have you learned? I have learned the the uh, safe, legal, and readily accessible abortions are health care. Yes. And uh, uh, pre- preserving that right that, that all uh, uh, people capable of pregnancy have also prevents murder. Yeah. You know, if these women could have been seen by doctors who 
weren't killing people, mm-hmm. they probably would still be, well, not still here. That'd be really crazy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they would have still been around. They would have lived long, full lives. Or at least they would have lived a while longer. More, more than a week, It said. was the 1800s. How long were the lives? But the point is that re- restricting access creates a market, And desperation. Yeah, where, to... where yeah, d- desperation uh, creates a, a, a market where the only providers are those who are comfortable uh, dealing with the desperate. And mm-hmm. sometimes you get saintly old men like the Cider House Rules, but far more often than you'd like, which is to say ever, <laughs> you, you get twisted murderers like this guy. You were going to quack. I was going to quack. You were going to quack. But yes, exactly. Yo, this this is a person taking advantage, purposely putting themselves in places where they know they are surrounded by people they can take advantage of. And the, the same argument goes for the decriminalization of sex work. Yep. And allowing places for sex workers to to uh, vet their their clients before meeting them face to face, you know, in in online spaces particularly, also have such a, a effect in reducing violence and danger. Yes, you did a much better job at putting that into words than me. <laughs> but that was what I was going for. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So with that, uh, we'll be back with some letters. Letters. Not only are we back, we're back with letters. Uh, Our first letter is from Kieran writing in yet again uh, with a fun fact that uh, I did not put in my previous episode because I was not aware of it. Uh, Apparently, Christopher Lee met Prince Yusupov when he was a wee babe back in the 1920s. So when he got to play Rasputin in that Hammer film uh, against... Honestly, there isn't really a clear Yusupov figure in that film. (laughs) It has got to be the least historically accurate. Uh, okay, second. There, there is the, the Anastasia film. And it's wonderful. It has no communists in it. It has a talking bat. <laughs> but being in that film just sort of connected him to, you know, the, the, the stories his mother would tell that back when he was a child. As for prompts, Kieran's favorite Valentine's candy, which is what we wanted to hear about for this episode, are, are the, the love hearts. Little message hearts that um, aren't good. Uh, <laughs> but they sure are neat. They're one of those candies that's not actually good, but you kind of always... Like, if someone offers it to you, you're not going to not eat them. <laughs> Are they making them this year? Because they weren't making them previous. Like, they they were one of those companies that got, like, shuffled around, and there was, like, a year or two where they weren't being made here. It also seems like something where if they stopped making them, you wouldn't notice for five years. They, they've got so many that, that they, never sell. Like candy corn. That is also one of those ones where, like, I ain't buying that, but if someone's like, here's some candy corn, I'm gonna be like, yeah, I'm gonna eat that. <laughs> Kieran's favorite monk was Fred Damara, the great imposter. He, he earned that title for one, not really being a monk, and not really being anything that, that he was. He just stole people's identities over and over. Uh, he joined the navy on a fake identity, uh, he joined a monastery, and so it went on and on. He, he managed to even be a pretty good navy surgeon during the Korean War, despite having no medical training whatsoever. <laughs> 
after his deceptions came out, he got a bit of fame from them and uh, uh, didn't have to steal identities to be famous. Although, you know, he still did it a few more times for fun. Uh, and of course, if you want to learn more, uh, Kieran wrote uh, an article on uh, Fred Demara at headstuff.org that we're gonna we're gonna link below for everybody. Thanks, Kieran. Yeah, uh, one fine cat also wrote in and answered a whole bunch of prompts. Oh goodness! Uh, so favorite anarchist uh, is Robert Evans, who is a podcaster. Uh, favorite plant, uh, the piranha or piranha plants are excellent. But real piranha plants are like Mario piranha plants. Um, <laughs> there might be like real ones that are like rah, 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 gonna eat a fly. Favorite specific plant is the basil plant that one fine cat's roommate nurtured through a Chicago winter, and that is impressive. <laughs> I have tried basil plants so many times in Chicago, and they never go well. Congratulations. Favorite thing that has happened in 2020, uh, one fine cat's partner and then moved in together, spent a lot of time cooking, did an extra life stream, lots of good stuff. Favorite safety regulation. The FDA regulations concerning how many insect pieces are allowed to be in certain foods. Yay! I would really like that to be none, but... Yeah, but then you'd never get any food. I would never eat anything. Favorite monk is a bit of a stretch in the definition, uh, but one fine cat is going with uh, the Righteous 36. The Zadikim. Yes. Uh, and then favorite Valentine's Day candy... Sweet tarts mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that are shaped like hearts because it's Valentine's Day. Very popular choice. Those, Thank you. Those are good. Thank you, One Fine Cat. You can't go wrong with sweet tarts. Until you eat them. What do you mean? Sweet tarts are great. <laughs> you got a thing against sweet tarts? I do not have a thing against sweet tarts. I'm just being sassy. Okay. Peter writes in with, with a bit of an oblique uh, angle on the favorite Valentine candy uh, prompt because it is not candy and not specifically for Valentine's. It is uh, a dessert, a baked sweet roll, a pastry of sorts. The traditional Fat Tuesday treat of Sweden called semla or semlor if they're plural. It is a light, faintly spiced, fluffy wheat roll with the top cut off, the inside scooped out, and then mixed with almond paste. Oh. Yeah, and then you, you cover that with a whole mess of whipped cream. Oh, I want this. You put the lid that you cut off, you don't, don't throw that away, you smoosh that back on top, and you dust the whole thing with icing sugar. I want it. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. It's Anything that's mixed with, like, an almond paste or a nut paste, I'm like, yeah. It's also famous for killing a Swedish king. Hey, there's my crime that I should have talked about this year. King Adolf Frederick, who is notorious for eating himself to death, dying after having a meal uh, that, that was large and rich with many foods, but capped off with 14 servings of these uh, uh, semblor. Oh, I thought someone poisoned it. It's death by chocolate, but without the chocolate. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Peter. Final Gamer writes in and has a couple prompts for us. Uh, so uh, favorite monk is Gregor Mendel, uh, which uh, they thought was going to be who you talked about, never. but was not. No. Mendel was- He knows what he did. I'm never talking about that guy again. You have a vendetta? I'm very sassy today. <laughs> uh, Mendel was an Austrian monk in the 19th century who- Whilst tending to a garden in a monastery, was like, oh, these plants share like some certain characteristics, like height and and 
colors and stuff and did some experiments. And then he devised what is now uh, known as hereditary genetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and though, like, you know, people knew that he was the first one to, like, write it down. He and- came up with the squares, the Punit squares. Yeah. Although and- maybe a guy named Punit came up with the Punit squares. But still. He wrote it down so he famous. Yeah. <laughs> Final Gamer's favorite Valentine's candy is dairy milk chocolate eggs because they start to come out around February in anticipation of Easter. Oh, yeah. I see. Uh, and then Final Gamer also brought up that same fact that Kieran shared with us. Mm-hmm. The, the meeting between Christopher Lee as a, as a young babe and uh, yeah. Felix Yusupov. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Final Gamer. Elizabeth writes in for the very first time. So good to hear from you, Elizabeth. Thank you. And she was inspired to do so because she just is fascinated with uh, the the life and death of Grigory Rasputin uh, and wanted to point out uh, one of her favorite characters, I guess you'd say, in in the whole enterprise, Dmitry Pavlovich, uh, one of the the famed co-conspirators. Not to be confused with the cartoon Dimitri. No, no. Different Dimitri. You know, this one exists. So that's an easy way to tell them apart. (laughs) But uh, in her email, she outlines the the web of connections that Dimitri had among uh, the nobility, the royal family, and and all of the the behind-the-scenes grudges that eventually led him to taking part uh, uh, in in this conspiracy. It's a very dense subject. The, The reason we left... Uh, we had Yusupov, Rasputin, and everyone else is just a, a matter of scope. You could fill books uh, with this, as Elizabeth well knows, because she recommends three to all of our listeners if, if you're uh, interested in a more complete view of these events. <laughs> Those are A Lifelong Passion, Nicholas and Alexandra, uh, which is a, a book of all the letters and diaries of the Romanovs. So yes, if you are curious about the actual young Anastasia, she was a weird, frumpy little girl who liked to write uh, her czar father about picking her nose and breeding worms. Okay, the one in the movie totally would have too. That's true. That's true. She wouldn't have lost her her memory. She would have totally been that kid. I can imagine any given Meg Ryan character being that kid. (laughs) Uh, book number two, The Romanov Sisters by Helen Rappaport. It is the most cohesive book about said sisters that, that one uh, could hope to find. And then uh, The Life and Death of Ella, Grand Duchess of Russia by Christopher Warwick. It, it's a very fact-based life story, but Elizabeth uh, uh, appreciates it because Ella was such an interesting figure herself. Uh, it's, it's a great read if you're interested in Queen Victoria's granddaughters or Russian history. As far as uh, uh, a favorite Valentine's candy, uh, Elizabeth wants to, to shout out the, the chocolate oranges that you break off into little orange slices. Very good. Very good. So th- thank you for all that information and those kind words as well. And So thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you to everybody who wrote in uh, for this episode. Yes. If you'd like to be like these fine people, you can also write in to us and share... Show suggestions, comments, corrections. You can just say you like us. You can answer <laughs> prompts. I do like it when you just say you like us. Those are fun. And those all go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, darling, do you have a prompt for next time? I would like to hear everyone's favorite martial artist. Oof. 
And again, those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and while you're at it, you can leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. Apple Podcasts is, is especially helpful as far as algorithmic magic. Uh, you can also tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially if you have really mouthy friends, I guess. <laughs> uh, and you can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at History Honeys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- that is where you get to just sort of hang out and chat and join the conversation, create a conversation. Uh, in, in fact, if you are following us on social media, you already uh, heard this announcement I'm going to make. Oh, yeah. I've launched a brand new podcast. Uh, hey, hey. Uh, one of my bestest and oldest friends and I uh, are watching uh, the, the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime three episodes at a time and then delivering that experience weekly to you. It is a wild ride. The, the, the title is is far, far from unearned. Uh, we can yeah. put it at that. Uh, so right now, the, the first episode just launched yesterday uh, when, when you're hearing this. So you can get in on the ground floor as we uh, explore the tangled relationship between Jonathan Joestar and uh, uh, Dio Brando, two fancy lads being extra. So check that out. So check that out. Uh, as far as short-term projects, though, I, I was also on uh, the most recent episode of Mechanista in G from the, the Scanline Media family of shows. Uh, that is a, a podcast about talking about a randomly chosen uh, a mobile suit from the Gundam franchise in every episode. So they had me on, and the dice told us to talk about the gun tank from the, the original series in 1979, and we had a, a heck of a time about it. We really exceeded the brief and talked about a whole lot of suits and uh, had a great time doing it. And you can find me here on Sex Archie. <laughs> That's what I do. I have no other project to promote. I'm not popular like you. Uh, I invite myself onto other shows. That's how I get most of my guest spots. I'm like, hey, I like your show. Can I come on it sometime? And I'm antisocial. They often say yes, it turns out. Yeah. 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 So with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your your honey. honey.